Welcome once again to Motos and Friends, the weekly podcast from the editorial team at Ultimate Motorcycling. My name is Arthur Coldwells. Honda's much-anticipated XL750 Transalp was launched last year at the International EICMA show. Editor Don Williams was rather hoping that Honda would bring it to the US, and it seems he's got his wish. After attending the US launch a few weeks ago, Don now gives us his impressions of the exciting new ADV bike that is all Honda. In the second segment, I chat with my buddy George Beavers. George and I have ridden together for many years on the street, and he's also raced the same Southern California tracks that I used to compete on. In this segment, George and I chat about his recently launched Moto California Touring Company. In September, we had the pleasure of attending the dress rehearsal of the kind of touring that he's going to be hosting around the roads of Tuscany. It was truly a dream vacation, and I was excited to hear from George about his plans for the company's future. Regular listeners will have heard me wax lyrical about the new Cortec Light range of gloves that I've been wearing for the last couple of months. Well, I twisted the corporate arm, <laughs> and they kindly agreed to us giving away 10 pairs of the Cortec Light gloves on our social media pages. That's on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. So, all you have to do is like the post, follow Cortec, and tag two friends in the comments to be automatically entered into a random drawing. We will contact the winners by DM. Unfortunately, this giveaway is limited to US residents only. So check us out on your favorite social platform for all the details, and hopefully you will win a pair of Cortec lights. So from all of us here at Ultimate Motorcycling, we hope you enjoy this episode. the 2024 Honda XL750 Transalp. And that will probably be the last time I'm going to say XL750 because nobody uses that designation except for Honda in their official communiques. Uh, even when, when we went to ride it, or when I went to ride it, they, uh, you know, there was kind of a little talk about that, the XL750 designation and, you know, it's Transalp. Everybody likes Transalp. Transalp is a good name. It's fun to say. And it gives you kind of a, a sense of like going and doing something cool. Whereas XL750 is okay, but nowhere near Transalp. So Transalp uh, came out last year in Europe. And when we saw it, we were, you know, I was drooling like, hey, I want to ride that. They need to bring that over here. And so this year they did. And uh, it's, again, it's a, as far as we're concerned and as, as far as it was in Europe last year, it's an all new, all new bike. You know, brand new engine, brand new chassis. Uh, I think they used uh, rims that they've used before and uh, grips. <laughs> so, so maybe not all new, but you know what I'm saying. All, every major component is, is new. And it's a 755cc twin, parallel twin. It's got, as you would expect, a 270 degree crank. So it has that kind of lumpy feel that helps you get traction off road. Uh, fairly over square not like excessively because this is this is not a a high revving bike it's it's definitely a more low revving engine uh it'll it'll run up to 10k which doesn't sound low but in modern days that's that's you know not an an excessively high uh red line for a for a 750 and uh it's got the honda unicam engine which is a single cam 
but not like a traditional single cam where uh, both sets of valves are operated by rocker arms. So on one that's direct and then the other, it's it's the rocker arms. So that's kind of the basic thing. Uh, really, the Transalp, which is an adventure bike, I should probably mention that, Transalp isn't like a bike for like technical people. You know, it, it it's not all about the specs and the tech. It's about, you know, being a fun, easy to use motorcycle. Uh, and the motor, which I was talking about there, they're also, they also have in a street bike in Europe called the Hornet, uh, which they would probably call the CB500R uh, here. if They brought it here, which I expect they will at some point. But anyway, the Transalp is like a super basic kind of fun, easy to use uh, adventure bike that has a list price of $9,999. So it just stays <laughs> under, under the 10K uh level and the Yamaha Tenere 700 has jumped up to I think $10,799 so it's it's they're definitely being very aggressive there now when I first saw the trans out it didn't look like a whole lot of dirt bike to me it looked like a more street oriented adventure bike uh you know it has like kind of a fairly bulbous bearing it just didn't strike me that Honda was going for like the Africa twin kind of crowd, that it was more like a CB500X, which is more street bike-ish, but I was wrong and I should have been tipped off by the 18 inch rear wheel and 21 inch front wheel combo, because that's the dirt bike combo. And uh, one of the things that does is it gives you a, a much wider range of tires that you can use for the bike uh, for off-road and fewer tires you can use for the bike on road. Not that there's, not that you would, you know, you, you can get pretty much any kind of tire you would want. You just wouldn't have quite the, you know, the breadth of choice that you would with a 17, 19 tire combo that you have on, you know, the more street oriented adventure bikes. So uh, when we got there, we, we, we went to Pennsylvania to, to test the bike. And, uh, my mind is, you know, we they, we were going to ride around on the street, and uh, this time of the year, the uh, the leaves are changing for fall, you know, from green to orange and yellow and and red. And while I've seen pictures of it, I've never been in the, the Northeast United States when that's happening. So it was kind of cool, like, oh, I was going to finally see this. <laughs> read about it, seen pictures of it. Looks like it might be fun to see but uh never seen it and so we were going to do that it would be an adventure bike so we'd be on these back roads and that'd be fun but as it turns out honda had other ideas about how to present the trans up to us which i was kind of surprised and basically uh the bike we tested and and that's why i'm going to talk about the bike i'm not really going to be talking about how it works off the showroom floor because they put uh bridgestone uh adventure cross AX41 tires on it. Now, if, if you're a Venture fan, you would know those are pretty much knobby tires. They're not the big block tires like you often see in adventure bikes or the street bike tires that are just kind of slightly modified for the road. These are like knobs. It's like a dirt bike tire. So that was like an, an, an I, it, that was a indication that we were not going to be riding around on the street all day. And we actually rode for two days, and uh, I'd say 80% of our time was spent on gravel roads. And uh, the road system that we used, 
was part of the uh, Backroads Discovery Routes organization. And that's an organization that has developed these different routes in the United States, mostly on the West Coast and then the Rockies, uh, some in the Northeast. Uh, you know, they're constantly expanding. Uh, I've never really paid that much attention to the backcountry discovery routes because li living here in Southern California, we have a zillion routes. <laughs> you know, I don't need anybody to like set up a route for me to go riding. I, I know where to go. Uh, but for somebody who lives, let's say, in Kentucky that wanted to come out here, they might look at that their route and say, well, well this is a pre-approved route. And, and basically, it's a route that has that will take you to different cities where you can get gas or you can get food or you can get lodging so that you're not just like riding around going, oh, I wonder, you know, you don't have to put it all together. It's all put together. And they try to work with the locals so that they're like very motorcycle friendly and uh, adventure bike friendly and so they'll meet you and say hey how you doing and 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 it, it's 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 a it, you know it's good for everybody it's good for you as a rider because you're going to be welcome and there's going to be the services that you need and it's good for the little local communities that want to have as many people come through so these are long routes uh, you know they'll be from one end of you know colorado to the other north south most mostly north south routes uh so you could ride from canada all the way to Mexico or the other way around so really long routes straight you know going in one direction uh so up and then one in Pennsylvania and surrounding states and the BDR people have just figured out that sometimes people want shorter routes they don't want to go on you know a 500 mile ride or a thousand mile mm -hmm. ride so right. they have these what they call x routes where they they are shorter little routes and that's what we did and we did the one called the PA Wilds or Pennsylvania Wilds, and uh, it was cool. These I wouldn't have known that there were so many gravelly dirt roads in Pennsylvania. You know, I kind of think of the East Coast as being much more paved, or if there are dirt roads, they're just short little tributaries off off of the main roads. But these were miles and miles and miles through the forests. Really cool. You know, obviously it looked cool because it had. You know, all the, the trees were changing. So there's the red and orange everywhere you went. And uh, the roads varied from being super smooth. I mean, I got up to 80 on one of them. There's no speed limit. So I don't think I was breaking rules. Maybe I was, who knows? And uh, then there was some that was really challenging, really tough. And it's not like you have to take that. They have little options, you know, they have little options. So if you're somebody who's not as comfortable going in, on difficult you know, unpaved road that you could go on an easier paved road. So, uh, you know, I went on a, a paved road or an unpaved road that was rocky, wet, muddy, and def and uphill. <laughs> so it was definitely a challenge. It was, it was pretty fun. So that's all kind of setting the plate for how the bike works. And uh, again, and the fact that Honda definitely is promoting the Transalp as as an off-road capable. Uh, adventure bike so when we're talking you know i talked about the engine there uh, this is where it gets very complicated and it's just part of reviewing bikes these days that is comp is tough it has these different modes so you have like a street mode and then like an urban mode and a rain mode and then you have an off-road mode and those are all good and you can you can set them all up for however you want and then they have a, a user mode where you can adjust the traction control, the power delivery, 
the ABS. So you can set it up however you know you want it to work. And when you start to get into the weeds of setting up the traction control, oh, and also engine braking. So traction control, engine braking, oh, wow. uh, ABS. So once you start setting all these different parameters up, you have a lot of different engines there. It's not like, well, how does the engine work? Well, that depends on which buttons you have to push or which settings you have to make it, you know, what you want. And, right. the, and what I can tell you is it's not like a fast motor. Like even on the pavement, when, you, when you're in the sport mode and you get on the gas, it's not fast. You know, it's, it's not slow. You know, it's not like a KLR 650 kind of thing. It's still a twin cylinder, you know, motor that spins up, but it does not spin up. It doesn't feel like a sport bike. And, uh, you know, it feels like uh, an, an adventure, you know, a, a more off-road capable adventure bike. You know, I mean, now when we have adventure bikes that have 170 horsepower, you know, the open class bikes. But this is definitely a tame motor that is accessible pretty much to everybody because even in the most aggressive mode, it's not that aggressive. But for off-road, you know, I rode it in the off-road mode, which is, you know, they have these, they have kind of three levels of power and it was, it's on one down from the most aggressive. And you don't really know, you know, it looks like, well, it's a down a third, but it's not really down a third, it's down however much it's down. And a lot of it, uh, you know, Honda had a little graph for us and, what it is is the bike ends up having the same amount of horsepower at the end of you know at, at the red line it, it has the same amount of horsepower it's just how it gets there in okay. the sport sport mode it ramps up really fast so you have the really good off throttle response accelerates and then it kind of flattens out at the top uh, in the off-road mode it's very slow off the bottom very gentle and then as you get higher up into the rpms then it accelerates you know moves up to meet the other curve and you know if you're riding on an adventure bike you're probably not going to be riding in those high rpm that high rpm range much at all you know the bike's just not really designed for that and that's not you know you might get up there once in a while but you're not generally going to be hitting the red line when you're going so i and it, it takes the traction control and backs it down though not off and then it changes the abs to front wheel only and so there's you know these different things that it does which is good so uh when i was riding off road now the first thing you know i gotta re remind you that it had the uh, you know the bridgestone knobby tires so when i would ride it off road it felt great i mean on the gravel roads you're riding around you're getting on the gas you're having fun uh it's, it's working pretty good you know, I can spin the wheel up a bit before the traction control comes in. And uh, I like the engine braking, you know, uh, ABS front wheel only is great because you don't want to have, you know, there's very few times that I care about, uh, you know, sliding the front wheel. So I'm happy to have that, that come yeah. in. And as long as it's not too aggressive, and as soon as you start to use it, it starts to, you know, pump, then that's not good. But, you know, they, they knew what they were doing when they set that up. But the one thing they didn't, you know, I, I kind of extrapolated this after riding, they didn't really think about the bike being shod with knobbies. You know, all, all these settings were set up with the, the stock street, very street oriented stock tires on, on the rims. 
on the rear, especially the wheel, <laughs> rear wheel. So what would happen was I, if I was going through any kind of technical spot where the rear wheel would start to spin, what it would do is it would start to spin and then the traction control would say, well, well I don't like this, it's spinning, I'm going to shut you off. So it would <laughs> kill the power, but then as soon as it regained power, like let's say you're, you hadn't let off the throttle when that happened, you just kind of, your hand just kind of stayed in the same throttle position. Then right. when it came back in, it was like, bang, you know, it was, it was going, like if you had the kill switch on the bike and was, you know, you had the throttle half on, you hit the button, kill switch back on, it's going to accelerate hard because it's being given a lot of gas. You right. know, you have that, that twist. So I was constantly like fighting with it, like, you know, because it's not like you, when it loses traction, you know exactly that that's going to happen. It just happens when it happens. And then it reengages quickly before you have a chance to shut, shut it off. So I was constantly kind of fighting the bike and, and not very happy with what it was doing. And I, it, it wasn't immediately in my head, you know, what the problem was, which was these tires were not calibrated, really calibrated for that bike. So I was kind of not happy. And I, I talked to a Honda rep and I said, explain my situation. And they said, Oh, well, you know, you can turn the, the uh, traction control all the way off. And it's one of these things where you have to stop the bike, push the button, push the button again, hold the button down, and then it goes off, which right. is good. And okay. once I did that, it was great. That bike completely changed. And I ran into this with a KTM 1190 uh, Super Adventure R, whereas the, where the traction control was not set up right, the bike was really hard to ride in the, in the dirt. Same thing with the trams out. If it's not set up right, if you don't turn that traction control off and you put knobby tires on it, it's it's just wants to fight you. But if you turn the traction control off, it's still super controllable because this isn't a motor that's spinning up fast. But if it spins, you're you're good. And then you, you know, you regain traction and it just you know keeps going and and it just you start to accelerate again instead of spinning a bit again. So uh, it's a reminder of how important sometimes it is to set the bike up right. And if there's a problem and it has a lot of uh, criteria where you can make changes that you can make a big difference. And, and this is, this was the case from there on, you know, when we were on the smoother dirt, the smoother gravel roads, I was like sliding the back wheel, you know, steering around the corners with it, you know, sliding it feet up, you know, it's like, ah, this is cool, you know, and it was, it was really good. So uh, if you're interested in the, you know, if you're interested in trans out, and even if you own one and you, you, you're, you're having any kind of problems with it, remember that you have to, you might have to put some time in to set it up just right. And uh, I mean, I can't imagine anybody, it's that off-road mode again, if it had the stock tires on it, maybe that works great. And we're going to be getting a stock version. So I'll probably do another podcast and I'll do another review because the bike right. is so different. And as I, as I said to you, and I've said to everybody, I think most people listening to this, if they're with the internet, they've seen the videos of that guy with the the uh, gold wing with the big knobbies on it. Have you seen that? Right. Arthur? Yeah. Yeah, I've seen. Okay, that, that uh, guy is doing like these giant hill climbs and on these trails and going all yeah. over the place on a gold wing, but <laughs> it's got the big knobby tires, and right. it reminds you how important the right tires are for the job that you're doing, and. You can take a gold wing and you can trail ride it and you can hill climb it and you can do all kinds of crazy things on it if you put big knobby tires on it. Right. And as I've said in the past, if 
if I had a Honda uh, uh, CRF 450R motocross bike and I wanted to go around a motocross track on it and I put slicks on it, I'd never make it. But if I yeah. put a Goldwing with knobbies on it, I could go around the track. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it is one of those weird things where on some level, the tires are like the most important feature on the bike. Right. You know, yeah. for dirt. You know, yeah. in the street, you can you can get around with any tire. But on the dirt, if you don't have knobbies and if you have like very street-oriented tires, you're not going anywhere. And yeah. so... Anyway, I mean, it was great that they put these tires on, but the whole the whole time I was thinking, oh man, I'm gonna have to do another review of this bike because it's completely different. They also put on uh, bash bars and a skid plate, and I, I didn't really, fortunately, <laughs> need to use those. I didn't crash the bike, but I did take it on one stretch. It was really tough, and uh, it's funny. There's a little discussion between a couple of the Honda reps about me going. And one of the guys doesn't know me that well. So he was kind of like, well, you know, it's pretty tough there. And I don't know. And, you know, but kind of trying to dissuade me from doing it. And the other Honda rep who knows me pretty well, he's like, oh, you got to do that. Uh, it's pretty cool. You can do it. No problem. <laughs> so, of course, <laughs> I did it. And it was it was tough. That's what I'll say. It wasn't a walk in the park. It was it was, as I said at the beginning, it was wet. It was rocky. Now, the rocks weren't like loose rocks which can be a big handful with a big adventure bike the the rocks were embedded into the ground so it's they're like all these sharp pointy oddly angled rocks that you're riding on and it was wet and it was uphill and there was mud on them but you know when you got good tires and you have a nice gentle power delivery and you have very soft suspension and it's uh it works you know the bike was getting plenty of traction i never was like spinning it up and it's funny you think oh with that traction control you're going to have all this spinning going on craziness that motor develops power i was in the you know the lower power mode not the lowest but the kind of the mid power it develops power slow enough and soft enough that it's its own traction control if you have any kind of decent throttle control which i do so i was able to you know I was, I was most of the time when I was spinning it up to any kind of significant amount, it was always when I wanted to, like when I was going around a turn, I would get kicked in the back out, back end, back end out, like roost is fun. This is great. But when I was in the technical stuff, the rocky stuff, going over the logs, going down through mud holes, no problem. Super great traction, super easy to control, really great. And then when that's all happening, you can kind of notice how how the chassis works if you have the motor and the tires working for you and the chassis it's a little wide like when you're standing up you know i'm kind of been spoiled by the ktms which are really slender at the waist so when you're standing up on them even 1190 feels like a dirt bike on this it's it's kind of girthy in the middle not excessively so you're like oh i can't ride this but it's bigger than you want and things like the foot pegs are smaller than i would want although honda does offer accessory foot pegs that are larger and if you're going to go off-road you have to get those the, the stock foot pegs are there are adequate but only adequate and when you're off-road you want you want more than adequate <laughs> so uh but the handling was completely predictable the soft suspension you know i wasn't bottoming it out i might have bottomed out here and there but i mean i'm not somebody who's jumping the bike or doing crazy stuff on it because that's not what it's for 
you know, I mean, you could do crazy stuff on it and you could bottom it out and you could do whatever you want. But if you're interested in doing those things, you know, there's different bikes that you would get, you know, you would get like a KTM 890 adventure, you know, R or rally or something much more aggressive. This is still a bike that has a lot of street bike in its heart, you know, but sure. it's, it, it, but it's cause it's comfortable. You know, the bike feels comfortable. The ergonomics are good. It, it ergonomics other than the kind of the wide center are good for standing up. You never feel awkward, whether, you know, a lot of adventure guys, it's kind of weird. They, they, they love to stand. They got to stand everywhere. And to right. me, you don't have to stand everywhere. I, I see pictures and I'm going to get on Nick about this. I saw a picture of him like he was on the pavement standing for the picture. And I'm like, you don't need to stand on the pavement. Standing is when there's like rockiness or bumps or stuff. And you need to, your legs need to help absorb the impact. If it's smooth. And most of these roads I was on was, were nice and smooth. Sitting down is fine, you know. And it makes it easier to slide the bike. And if you need to put your foot down, you can. You know, uh, seat right. height isn't excessively high. It's not super low, but it's it's not unmanageably high. And there's a they have a, a lower seat if you need that. But uh, you know, the bike's comfortable to ride and handles well sitting down for the gravel roads and 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 just the more simple off road parts. So, you know, the big takeaway for me on the Transalp was Honda's confidence in the bike as an off road bike. And how, you know, if you put the knobbies on it, because if I had done with the ride that we did on the stock tires, I would have not been as enthusiastic about the bike as I am, because <laughs> I would have been constantly like the, the, the AX41s, these Bridgestones are really great off-road tires. And, you know, just as on the street, you want to have front-end confidence. And if you oh. have a street-oriented tire in the dirt, man, that's just scary. Because every time you want to change direction, you know, it's like the front end wants to push like every single time. And so oh. you never get that good, unless you're really good at like steering with a rear wheel and have a lot of, you know, bravery, <laughs> you know, you just, you're just, it's just not what you want to do. So with these tires, I had great front end confidence and it would settle into the corner I was never tiptoeing around corners. And usually if I have the, uh, the an adventure bike that's got the street tires, I am tiptoeing around in gravel because I can't be sure it's gonna change direction when I wanna change direction. Whereas with these AX41s, so this is gonna be kind of a review of those, the, those Bridgestones were great. And so they work so well with the bike and, and all you had to do to make them work was do a little tiny bit of setup on, on the uh you know with the dash and, and the settings and again they have the user setting now you do have to like when you shut the bike off you have to uh you know read go through the whole traction control thing again it's it resets to being on unfortunately that's just the way it goes and they all also right. have a an all off uh abs where there's no abs at all front and rear and i ran it with that for a while and really it didn't matter you know, I'm pretty good with the brakes. I'm not heavy with the brakes. I like to run it with the, the with the bike with the the maximum engine compression braking, which some people don't like. I I like it, and so when I roll off the throttle, the bike slows down on its own without having having to put a lot of brake. You know, I I 
I used the rear brake some, didn't need to use it much. Uh, the front brake, again, even with the, the off-road ABS, which was front wheel only, uh, it, the front wheel wasn't, in fact, it's funny, I actually ended up feeling the ABS kick in more on the pavement in, the, in that off-road mode than when I was, you know, in, on off-road because the knobbies don't grip the pavement very well. So it's kind of a kind of a funny, you know, something you wouldn't expect. So anyway, so that's I, I noticed. I noticed when you're on the subject of the brakes, I noticed that it has uh, twin front discs at the front. That's yeah, that's normal cool. for a bike that big. Is it okay? Yeah, the adventure bikes typically will have that once you get up into that okay. class. The ones oh. that have singles are like the 600 and and smaller. They might okay. have one. But when you get up to the 750s and above, it's it's that's that's pretty much when rotors now. Yeah, now the engagement's very soft. Okay. You know, there, there's eventually braking there, I think, because again, when I got to the street, I'm still running these knobbies. So there's only so much braking you're gonna get because you, your contact patch is relatively limited and right. inconsistent. Right. But but off-road, you cannot have aggressive brakes like on that. Ducati Street Fighter that tossed you on the ground. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. You can't have brakes like that. You can't have that sharp bite. You need to have the softest possible bite with a bike, an adventure bike, in my opinion. You know, as you as you uh actuate the brakes. And this bike is nice and soft. So, you know, you you can only pull so hard in the dirt before you start skidding. So, you know, the the maximum power isn't really where you, you need the double disc you could get if you only rode the bike in the dirt a single disc would be fine but you do ride it on the street then you're going to want the double disc especially with street tires so uh on the street the bike felt great i didn't feel it took me a while to get the confidence with those tires in on the pavement uh you know there were a lot of leaves around so you're kind of thinking you know am i going to hit a leaf and like lose the front end I mean, I went through a lot of leaves and there were a lot of standing leaves and there were leaves falling from the trees as I was riding through them. So there's leaves everywhere. Uh -huh. And I never had a problem. I never had the front end do anything untoward. Uh, you know, I had traction control. So if that was poking in now and then, again, even in the the strong power mode, the you know, the street power mode, it's not, you know, it's not ripping. And so you're not spinning up the rear wheel. I mean, anything's possible in, in these sort of situations, but uh, realistically, in, in for my use, it was fine. Uh, you know, it's just, it's a, it's a great street bike. I can't wait to ride it actually on the street with street, the more street oriented stock tires, because, you know, just find out how it works in the corners and, especially in California, I'll get to find out how it works in dry corners without leaves on. <laughs> and, and, but it's good. It was great. It was great to be able to test it un under those less than ideal conditions and see that, okay, those knobbies work pretty good on the street. Once you get used to feeling that kind of, they're not, they don't give you that sure feeling that a regular tire would give you a street tire, but it's a consistent feel that you can get used to and you go, Oh yeah, I can lean it over a little bit more than I thought, you right. know, and it, and, it, and it works. And so, uh, you know, the, we rode the bike on the freeway and the bike's fine on the freeway. It has, you know, plenty of power. You can, you know, when you're going 80, you're not like a sitting duck 
tapped out. You have right extra. And as I said, I was going 80 on one of those gravel roads. And I didn't even really realize it until I looked. I was like, hmm, I wonder how fast I'm going. I'm like, oh, I'm going 80. All right on. <laughs> That's cool. Right. And, uh, you know, and it's kind of funny because I was thinking, yeah, you know, I come out here. It's really scenic. And look at, and I'm going 80 looking at the road in front of me instead of, you know, putting along, checking out the the you know checking out the trees and checking out the leaves <laughs> right but that's but what happens is realistically when you're riding these kind of places in southern california everywhere you ride is this giant vista because there's not a lot of trees so right. everywhere you go you see everything and it's wow let's look at this oh i can't on this corner there's this beautiful view there there's trees everywhere so you're kind of riding in this corridor of trees right. so you don't have that that kind of experience of of like looking around it's like you know, I, I'm somebody who I, I like the natural stuff, but I get bored with it quickly. It's like, okay, I've seen the trees. You know, I don't, I don't see anybody. I don't see how anybody goes for a week, you know, sightseeing through the trees, you know, right. in, in the, this, it's like, okay, I get there. They're red, they're yellow, they're orange. Okay. Well, that's quite impressive. And now I'm done <laughs> being impressed. You know, I don't need yeah. to see them over and over and over. So, I mean, it, once in a while you get a Vista view, you know, and it, it that's spectacular because you see it for miles and it's all these different colors. But when right. you're going through the trees, it's like a bunch of kind of dead bottoms of the trees and then a bunch of leaves falling around you. And if you're following somebody, which as I was sometimes, there'd be, they would go through the, 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 the standing leaves and make like a wake, like a jet ski. And that was pretty cool, you know? Yeah. Wow. So that was pretty fun. So, and I, you know, if there's somebody behind me, I knew that they were seeing that, even though I couldn't see it. And I was like, I'm looking pretty cool right now. <laughs> <laughs> and that person behind me is enjoying, you know, what I'm doing. So that's, 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 that's fun. So it, it was kind of an incomplete test. Uh, I wouldn't say frustrating because what we did is something normally we don't do, which, well, sometimes we do. It just depends on the bike. But I, if Honda hadn't been there to kind of hold my hand on this one and throw different tires on it and then say, hey, go right here. I might not have picked up on how off-road capable it was. I would have looked at it and gone, because when you look at it, it doesn't have that, you know, super aggressive ADV look. It has the more street-oriented look to it. Yeah. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't have tried the stuff that I did off-road. No way. I mean, I, I would say maybe that, that one stretch of road that was, like I said, uphill, wet, muddy, rocky, log, you know, stuff that does probably you know puddles where you, you know went completely underwater front end right. uh i it might have been the hardest thing i've done on an adventure bike you know a full-size adventure bike because you know i'm i'm wary of how big those bikes are i mean I've, there's some people like jess who will ride them like their dirt bike but i'm a little bit more cautious than that <laughs> and so i'm just like yeah, i don't want to crash this thing so you know push the I, it it had me push my boundaries my comfort level and it was fine you know so it's like now my boundaries and comfort level are are, are re-established and as i said i'll be back with a review of the bike in stock condition which will be completely different you know when i go on dirt roads and stuff they'll say well the front end's kind of pushing you got to be careful I, you know i i know what's coming because the tires are, are just what the tires are the, the the bike is obviously um you know, entering a fairly crowded space where, you know, we've got the new Suzuki V-Strom 800 with obviously a slightly bigger engine. We've got the well-established Yamaha Tenere 
700, which is obviously a slightly smaller engine, but these sort of parallel twin uh, upper middleweight size motors. Do you think the Transalp has a place in, in, in there? Is it is there anything sort of that's noticeably different or that it brings to the party? Yeah, I mean, without riding the bikes back to back, because that really, you really yeah. have to do that and, and have them kind of set up the same. Like I, I went and rode the uh, Suzuki V-Strom 800DE in Sardinia. And, but they had the stock tires on it. So, and we went on some fairly tough dirt roads and these weren't gravel roads. These were dirt roads. Right. And you know how that bike, that bike would have been completely different with the AX41s. Sure. So, but, but how would it, yeah, no, I, I'm, not, I'm not asking you to do a comparison really. Oh, no, no, I understand what you're saying, but I'm just saying, so it's hard to say exactly where the different bikes kind of fit in. I mean, in my head, the Suzuki was really good on the street, of course. And, you have the Yamaha Tenere. There's, there's definitely, they're definitely, those are three different bikes. The Europeans haven't really got into that slot. I mean, the, the KTM 890 Adventure R is a completely different deal. Okay. You know, that's, that's a much more aggressive KTM ready to race. You know, those guys so, are serious. And now having said that, I haven't ridden the standard uh, the Adventure S, which is the more street oriented with the 1719. And that one's probably pretty, with those tires right in the same range of this, but it, but but the ultimate capability of that bike and the R configuration is is beyond these bikes. You know, it's, it's, it's just a different, different class. As is even possibly the Aprilia Tuareg 660. Nick wrote that and he said it was pretty aggressive, you know, sort of. Uh... Right, and what I will say, it's, it's, it's like $3,000 more, you know? So you're looking at a completely different sort of bike experience. You know, you have a $10,000 bike and then you have like a $13,000 bike. Right. So, you know, it's, it's always, that's a, a little difficult to compare. But you do feel that the Transalp does have a place within this market. To me, my feeling is the Transalp is the most friendly of the, of the group. And that's very Honda-like. Yes. It'd be really okay. easy to ride and really soft suspension, but it somehow still works. You know, it's not like, oh, it's too soft. They have a way of making it super friendly, yet still super capable. Okay. All right. And, and so that's, it's, you know, we'll have to, we'll have to get those bikes together, uh, at least the three Japanese ones, because those are all in the same price range and kind of fit together. The European ones, like the, they're kind of in a different world and different price range, different orientation which is good because obviously it's pushing the pushing the spectrum of the of the range sort of much bigger if you've got sort of outliers that's great but of the sort of the the sort of the middle of the road kind of uh kind of group it sounds like the honda does fit right in and, and is super user friendly right and most adventure riders do not are not extreme riders you know they're riding on the pavement a lot and then they're like oh there's a dirt road i like to go check that out and Oh, I heard that's a little tough. Okay, I can still do that. You know, again, okay. depending on what tires they have, All right. you know, that will tell you that that just looking at tires tells you who the adventure rider is and what he's interested in. Okay, and and uh, you know, again, with the knobbies, the Honda went where I wanted to go. It wasn't going fast. I wouldn't ride it fast. I wouldn't ride it aggressively, but it was, you know, I don't want to say like the tortoise in the hair, but I mean it was relentless. And the engine never, you know, you could get it, you know, you could drop it way down low and it always had 
plenty of torque and plenty of pull. There was never a moment. I wasn't having to, you know, feather the clutch or do anything like this. I could always just ride the bike and just ride it with the throttle and not have to ride it with the clutch or excessive shifting or anything like that. And uh, yeah. Now, the one thing it does miss, it's kind of weird, is that it doesn't, it has a quick shifter, which is great. And, but it does not have cruise control. Isn't that bizarre? It's like, why it doesn't have cruise control? I have no idea. Uh, that's one of those inexplicable things. I mean, it has, you know, like a slipper, assistant slipper clutch, which is good. It's got all the kind of electronics that you expect and it's got a good dash, you know, not no GPS or anything like that, but it's, it, you know, the dash is good. And mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's kind of cluttered like the Africa twin, because it's got a lot of information, a lot of modes, a lot of this, a lot of that. Although it does have uh, a choice of things, you, you know, of, of displays. So that's, that's cool. Okay. So, and uh, there should be one that you like, uh, but they all, they all, or easy to read you know the, the 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 speed is really big it's all really a big number and that's all that's the only number i really even care about you know right. if i'm riding i don't use i don't need the tachometer really i mean i'm going by the feel and the sound you know oh. so the bike is the trans out i would for me you know i try not to have expectations for bikes before i ride them because it's about learning what the bike is about and but, you know, you still see a bike. It's an adventure bike, so you expect it to be an adventure bike. But it was a much more capable off-road adventure bike than I expected. But that may have been all tires. So we'll find out when we get the, the truly stock one in, in a couple of weeks. But uh, if, if somebody's interested in going off-road and wants to those those kind of tires and is likes to have that soft, easy-to-ride, super-friendly handling power delivery suspension then the the 2024 honda trans out really has all that terrific hey thank you so much i appreciate the insight as always it sounds like sounds like a really nice bike very fun ride <laughs> regular listeners will have heard me wax lyrical about the new cortec light range of gloves that i've been wearing for the last couple of months well i twisted the corporate arm <laughs> and they kindly agreed to us giving away 10 pairs of the Cortec Light gloves on our social media pages. That's on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. So all you have to do is like the post, follow Cortec and tag two friends in the comments to be automatically entered into a random drawing. We will contact the winners by DM. Unfortunately, this giveaway is limited to US residents only. So check us out on your favorite social platform for all the details and hopefully you will win a pair of Cortec lights. In the second segment, I chat with my buddy George Beavers. George and I have ridden together for many years on the street and he's also raced the same Southern California tracks that I used to compete on. In this segment, George and I chat about his recently launched Moto California touring company. In September, we had the pleasure of attending the dress rehearsal of the kind of touring that he's going to be hosting around the roads of Tuscany. It was truly a dream vacation, and I was excited to hear from George about his plans for the company's future. When did you start riding motorcycles? I mean, when I was nine. 
nine. That's an odd age to start. So you didn't yeah. start as a little kid, but you started as a kid. Yeah. And and how how was that? How did that happen? Was that your dad? Yes. Uh, my father decided to go by um, in 1973 uh, a Kawasaki Z1 because he wanted the fastest motorcycle that was made at the time. Right. So we went to a dealership. I was living, I grew up in Connecticut. We went to this dealership in Danbury. And in the corner, they had this little mini bike. It was a Honda QA50, which is a little two speed, no clutch. Okay. Uh, you know, semi automatic thing. So he's doing this thing with the, uh, the salesman. And then he says, Do you want to try this? And I said, Yeah. So I vaguely remember we rolled the thing out to the parking lot. I didn't have a helmet on. I got on the thing. I twisted the throttle and pres started doing a Raleigh free across the parking lot with my legs out. <laughs> like, whoa. <laughs> my father was like holding his head. Thinking, oh God, here comes the lawsuit as I was going to bounce through some car parked cars. But somehow I managed to gather it up and ride around the parking lot and, and, and bring it back in one piece. And so that was my first minibike. So I had that for probably two years. Okay. And then... Was that mainly off-road? Off so you started, obviously, yeah, you couldn't ride yeah, on the street. Yeah, so. it's like, I mean, I'd go up and down the street. Right in front of my house, right as a kid, you know. Right, and then, um, but we used to go to all. So the Z1 became the street bike, and then he did a lot of mods to it. You know, Yoshimura stuff, pipe and pistons, and all that nice. kind of stuff in the beginning. Clearly, and, a man of taste and style. Yes, yes, uh, always big bore, big horsepower. Every bike he had, as, uh, I, right. as I will explain as we get through this conversation. So uh, we used to summer in Birchampton where there was a racetrack. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we I went out to- closed the, it down, didn't they? Yeah, a long time ago. It was okay. bought by a guy who, uh, I mean, that's another side story, but a wealthy guy who was part of a car club there. Okay. And then he basically let the track go bankrupt because it was owned by shareholders, people that from the town had been owned by shareholders. And so he basically bankrupted the, tra uh, the track so he could buy it back on his own for pennies on the dollar, Okay. close it, and then turned it into a golf course, oh, which is what it is now. Oh, what a shame. It's a very expensive private golf course. I think the uh, initiation fee is, um, it's called the bridge. Right. And I think the initiation there is like five or $600,000. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I won't be playing there anytime soon. No. <laughs> but we went to uh, the races out there and my father got hooked on it. And, right. um, he didn't race, but he just loved subsequently golf. started um, building the bike. And then he found um, this guy, his name's Dan Sorensen, who was a Canadian champion to race for him. And then he subsequently sponsored some other guys who ended up going on to uh, the national scene and world GP scene, a guy named Mike Baldwin. Holy and, crap, Mike Baldwin? Yeah, Mike's from my town, from Darien. Right. Wow, he was awesome, Mike yep. Baldwin. So he helped Mike a little bit in the beginning of Mike's career at Bridgehampton, and um, a guy named Richard Slachter. Helped sure, him. I know Richard, Richard so. Slachter too. These guys all came to the transatlantic trophy yes. races in England yep. back in the day. Yep. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, they were awesome. So, so that was the beginning. So I used to every time he, we would go to the races, I would come along on whatever 
mini bike I had and just kind of ride around. And I really wish I'd taken more pictures yeah. of all the guys that I was oh, surrounded cool. by, you know, throughout yeah. those years in the 70s. But um, so then after the QA50, then I got a YZ80. Nice. And then I got a Husky 125. And my father had a Husky 390. So we, you know, dirt ride a lot. And then uh, when I turned 16, <clears throat> I took my motorcycle license test on my father's Honda CBX, which he'd had a turbo kit on it, a Mr. Turbo kit. So I show up at the DMV, you know, this thing, whew, you know, revving it up, and the DMV guy's looking at me like I was out of my mind with his clipboard. You know, like, <laughs> like <laughs> what are you doing? That's so thing? funny. I did exactly the same thing, except mine wasn't turbocharged. Yeah. But I took, did my DMV. Rode the lollipop, you know, did the lollipop test on, on a, a CBX. CBX. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. In Connecticut, we had to go serpentine through some cones. Yeah. But this thing had a, they had to put a steering lock on it so it wouldn't <laughs> tank slap. And so the guy just made me do laps around the parking lot and then that was it. All right. So. Oh, cool. And then from 16 on, it was just uh, the CBX, the GS1100, which now is my vintage race bike. Right. My father bought that, and I said, Dad, please, leave it alone. Every time you buy a motorcycle, you over-modify it. The thing's always in the shop. Like, let's buy something we can actually ride. So he's like, yeah, good idea. So we bought the GS1100, and then literally six months after that, it went into the, to the guy's shop who did motor work for him. Um, and it has 1168 kit, and he put, like, the 18-inch rear, 16-inch front, you know, die mags on it, which was sort of the... the uh, tricked out setup for that time the 16 inch front wheel um you know flat slide carbs and blah 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 you know so <laughs> which is really fun to ride on the street by the way yeah i'll bet and then uh did flat slide carbs make a difference oh yeah really yeah okay it had a pipe a head work i've never actually ridden with flat slides i don't so i'm just curious everyone yeah. talked about them back in the day interesting yeah that bike was was fast and uh, the head work he had done by a guy who was a drag racer um, I can't remember his name back then um, yeah anyway cool so yeah, yeah lots of racing experience and uh, yeah going to the tracks as a kid and yeah being around all those racers all those years so fun. you did a lot of racing at Big Willow didn't you for a while WSMC. I started yeah I started um, I took a long pause from motorcycle riding and racing when I was uh, in college and then living in New York. Uh, I was working in the nightclub business then and just um, not really doing much motorcycling then, a little bit. And right. Then, uh, and then I moved to LA when I was 30 and was sort of doing music stuff and screwing around and that. And, um, but I really didn't get back into it till I was like 40. Oh, okay. So <clears throat> I started um, riding the canyons and <laughs> and then all my friends who I was riding with started slowly trickling to track days. So I started doing some track days, and then we started trickling into WSMC. Right. In Southern California, everybody rides at Big Willow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so that was my first track day was at Big Willow. Yeah. Which was... Same you know, here. Which was, you know, <laughs> an <laughs> eye-opener. <laughs> right. It's definitely <laughs> a bit of an eye-opener. First time uh, you're breaking into turn one, you're like, Ooh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is... Yeah. Uh, That'll wake you up for sure. Yeah. But uh, so I bought a, uh, a 99 Gixxer 600 off a friend of mine that had as a track day bike. Nice. And started uh, racing. 600 Super 600. Yeah, whatever the 
yeah. classes were. There were a bunch of them. Sure. And back then in 2004 and five, those classes had like 40 or 50 guys on the grid. Yeah. Yeah. So they do two wave starts and uh, it was pretty bonkers. It was pretty fun. Yeah. So yeah, I had the same experience. I think I was probably a few years ahead of you, but I, I started in the mid nineties at Big Willow WSMC yeah. and it was the same thing. And it was 600 super sport was a zoo and totally. every kid thought he was the next, you know, whatever, you know, Mark Marquez is yeah. nowadays, but you know, I mean, my God, it was just crazy. Every race was red flagged like three times. <laughs> and I was, and I thought, this is nuts. Why am I doing this? So I started racing open Superbike, mm-hmm. um, and then I turned 40. Yeah. Um, and so then I was in formula 40. 40 yeah, I did a little and bit And the that. good thing about formula 40 <clears throat> is everybody has to be at work on Monday. Totally. Yeah. yeah. No, nobody's, so you don't get these crazy Banzai moves. And you're mm-hmm. like, what the fuck is this guy doing? Right. And then he takes you out going into turn one. <laughs> you know, we all had to be at work on Monday. Yeah. So that was really enjoyable. I realized that pretty quickly that, um, my lap times were 10 seconds off the guys that were like really gunning for it, the younger kids. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, this is fun, but I think I'm going to shelf this thing right. and, and vintage race because I think I can be more competitive and I can, you know. Yeah. I can, yeah. I never I thought win. of that. I never, never did the vintage so, race. I'd like to have done that. That would have been cool. That's when I took my GS1100 and turned it into a. Into a really, into that's a, a really tight track bike. bike. Yeah. It's, had a, it's, it's been through a couple of iterations, but. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's so. nice. It's lovely. Yeah. And I think briefly, or not even briefly, but for a while, you were the lap record holder in that I class was. on it. I was. Yeah, WSMC. That must yeah. have been. That must have been nice. You. Yeah, I you got definitely. Some, you can I got some tra- plaques. I got some trophies. Yeah, yeah. You can tramp on around that track. Yeah, that's great. That's I spent, excellent. I spent a lot of money for some particle board trophies. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 Yes. Yeah. We always used to make jokes. Yeah, those trophies only cost me a thousand dollars, worth like fifteen mm-hmm. bucks. Yeah. You know, it's like. Yeah, yeah. Well, good stuff. So then, at some point in your life, you've just decided that you want to be a motorcycle tour operator. How did how did that start? I mean, what? Well, it started with my friend and his wife, uh, who is an Italian girl. He met her in Venice, Venice Beach. They moved to Italy and they started this business together, um, managing luxury villas for vacations. So I had the idea of, because I see all these touring companies sort of do the same thing. They all go from hotel to hotel to hotel every day. You want, you pack and unpack and, you know, um, and I thought, Hmm, a luxury villa, how cool would that be to go there? and ride out and back every day and come home to the same bed and have a, a private chef make you dinner, make you breakfast, um, have a swimming pool, have a yoga teacher, like have all these amenities for people that if they don't want to ride or you bring your wife, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, whoever, and they don't want to go on a ride, there are uh, stuff for them a various, yeah, yeah, a bunch of amenities for them too, you know, car service into Siena or Florence to go shopping, uh, wine tours, cooking classes, language classes. Um, and yeah. I thought that would be a more relaxing way to come and experience not only the roads, but the culture of Italy. Yeah. 
And why Italy? I mean, why not south of France or, you know? Because Greece? my friends were there. They had Just the so business there. The infrastructure was there. Sure. I didn't have to start from scratch. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I mean... And Tuscany. Everybody wants to go to Tuscany. Everybody wants to go to Tuscany, yeah. yeah. I, mean, I, I actually... I don't know. Italy's like... I often think, you know, if there is a heaven, it's going to look like Italy. <laughs> I mean, really. I mean, it's absolutely just breathtaking. Yeah, it's a really, so, really fun place. Yeah, it's, that's an interesting idea. I, I, I like that in as much as, like you say, you're not... There is an attraction to sort of moving on to a different scene every every day, but there is also an attraction to having not having to pack up and not having to load up mm -hmm. and just sort of coming back to the familiar sound surroundings mm -hmm. and being able to ra relax because yeah. you get sort of quite a bit more time. I agree. You can sort of come back and and just sort of uh, and and, uh, and slow down, slow it down a little bit after a bit of a frantic day on the motorcycles. It has to yeah, be. Yeah, so I mean, there's definitely, roads. there's definitely a demographic for the guy that wants to go and do the hotel to hotel and scramble uh, right. and just kind of zip through a place and... Um, where I guess you're riding at a pace where you don't get to really experience right. the culture, you know? Right. Um, so this is much more sort of experience driven. It's, yes. It's more sort of 70 or 80% motorcycles and 20 or 30% mm -hmm. culture and, and other activities. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Rather than 90% motorcycles, 10%, right. you know, or 95.5. Yeah, or you don't have a chance to sort of enjoy your surroundings or get to know the guy down the road at the at the local cafe or whatever. Yeah, you know? yeah. Well, it was, uh, it, it, it's, I know it's taken you a few years because we talked about this like years ago. We you, did. You sort of threw out the idea. Yeah. But it finally kind of came to fruition. Um, well, I don't want to say fruition because it's, you're still not quite ready yet, but you had a dry run mm -hmm. a couple of months ago mm -hmm. in Tuscany, and you, you were nice enough to invite um, us along on that. Yeah. i got to tell you, we were very, I don't want to say pleasantly surprised, because we were, our expectations were fairly high, but, mm -hmm. but i got to tell you, we had a really great time. It was, it was very interesting that, you know, the, t the Tuscany countryside and the scenery and the roads right. kind of go without saying it's mm -hmm. difficult you can't really describe it but these kind of long sequences of corner after corner after corner and not super fast it wasn't super fast riding mm -mm. what what was of, of i mean to, to talk about this dry run a little bit um that that, that we did for moto california what was your first objective with that well, the first objective was to get you guys all over there and make this thing work and see where the issues were. And I wanted to make sure that I invited the right group of friends to know that if something went sideways, it wasn't gonna, it wasn't gonna be an issue. So I wanted everybody to come and live in the villa, eat the food, get on the bikes, go to the towns, you know. And so I could see and hear from everybody else all the critiques. Yeah. And know uh and know where I need to improve and what I need to add and what I need to delete and um right. right. Now again, the dry run we did again was only really 70% of what it would be. Sure. With, yeah. We um, were all well aware of that. Right. The, the, like there would be 
more stuff happening. Um, yeah. You know, there'd be the masseuse after the day of riding and, and um, the bikes would be newer. Sure. And, sure. Yeah. Um, you know, the car service would have happened if anybody wanted to go into, uh, you know, sure. Florence or Siena. And we would have had an, an extra two days. Yeah. Because we only yeah. did four, we only did four days. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but from a, I mean, to start at the beginning, from the sort of the riding perspective, mm -hmm. um, what were your what were your thoughts on the riding? Um, I thought the, I mean, again, the, I thought the riding and the roads were great. I thought Ismaile, our guide, was great, and um, I think we. You know, I think because we were kind of quote unquote working and doing when uh, Tommaso was doing the photo shoot and the drone, where we had to sort of stop and go back and forth on some part of the roads, like that would be eliminated. But I think the riding overall uh, was really good. I thought everybody yeah. did well and um, there weren't any issues. And Yeah. Um, yeah, I would second that. To me, <clears throat> Essentially, we did, I mean, if you leave out the sort of the working day where we were doing all the shooting, but, but the three riding days mm -hmm. were really, those different routes were excellent. Mm -hmm. They were really very good. Mm -hmm. The roads, I mean, the road surface is absolutely it's pristine. Crazy. Like, like I say, sequence after sequence of, of just left, right, left, 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 mm -hmm. right, 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 left, left. I'm just, oh my God. I mean, it was just fantastic. Um, the bikes you talk about, you know, newer bikes. Um, I, I I have no comment on that. I, I mean, it, we were riding. I was riding a, a, a an older, you know, GS twelve hundred. Mm -hmm. um, They're all uh, twenty twelves, which were last of the air last of the air cooled. I've never really ridden a GS for any distance. I have to say, this bike performed flawlessly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It you said you were like starting to fall brilliant. in love with it. Well. <sighs> Or no, surprised I mean, by its performance. I'm going to sound like an idiot, but it, it <laughs> felt uncrashable. Right. <laughs> I found myself going into corners going, oh, come on, you wanker. You could, really, you could carry a bit more entrance uh -huh. than that. Uh -huh. You know, and, and I, it was really well balanced. What a <clears> fantastic. I think I've got a little bit of insight into why this is such a cult bike. Yeah. I mean, I can really see it. I assume the sort of the latest and greatest is just sort of the same thing on steroids. It's just probably more I mean, of the same. It's going to have more gadgets and more this and more that. Yeah, it'll have it's like probably you know, a bit heavier. Quick I mean, shift. Cool and this. Now, actually, they've gotten lighter. Really? Yeah. Okay. I had a 2016, and yeah. um, it had all the bells and whistles on it. Not right. as many as they have now. Right. And now they have the 1300. But um, yeah. But I got to say, this thing for a, it's a great bike. It does everything. It's just yeah. really fun. This thing for a 10 year old bike. My God, it was awesome. I mean, they put obviously they put you know really good tires on it and what have you, which is mm -hmm. really a lot of the key. Um, but yeah, what a fantastic bike! I absolutely had a blast on it. I loved it. So yeah, so the riding side of it was really good. Mm -hmm. It was really uh, you come around a corner on you know we're riding along this ridge of a hill. So, you know, with a sort of valleys either side, these deep, huge valleys with these vineyards stretching out and the, just the blue sky and just the sunshine just bathing these vineyards in sunlight. And I'm like, 
Yeah. It's distracting. You know? <laughs> I'm really hoping I go to heaven because I'm sure it's going to yeah. look like this. I'm really, this is what I want to do. My, my motorcycle buddies that have passed away, I hope they're riding like that. Yeah. That's what they're doing up there. You have to be yeah. careful to looking at the scenery because you might end up in it. Yeah, right. you know? yeah. A little bit. Yeah. 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 So it was really great. I liked, I liked the mix of people you <clears> brought that, you know, we didn't really know anybody and we just had a real nice time yeah. with them and you get to bond with people and we were just, it was all laughing and joking. It was just a really yeah. fun, relaxing time. That's why I sort of hand everybody well I think you're kind of, well you're not going to be able to do that when you're actually re no. you know, renting you're gonna just have people are gonna book who book correct um, but I think like you say the way you ran it you know you were riding and you were kind of hanging back yeah um, well, I had Maddie on the back so I had to be you know right a little yeah, more cautious yeah, Maddie Patty on the back she was she was great she was yeah. lovely to have along with us she too. was an awesome passenger I she didn't even, barely knew she was back there <laughs> <laughs> but yeah you were clearly sort of hanging back well well Mark and I sort of rode up ahead yes. a little bit uh -huh. but um but you know the pace was good it wasn't frantic I, no. at no point did I feel like oh we're pushing a bit hard here yeah. um you know, a couple of places I wouldn't have minded sort of buzzing past sure, entirely. Sure, of course. You know, and just... I'm debating about that too, about letting people sort of, if all the bikes have the GPS on them, saying, okay, we're going to go, we're going to leave the villa today, we're going to go to this town. You can either ride with us, and if you feel like hauling ass, have you, at you it. Go ahead. And go we'll ahead. See, we'll see you at this point. Yeah, and, you know... That might be a good idea. Please don't tip over. Yeah, right. Yeah. You don't know anything stupid. But yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, I don't know. I, I'm vacillating about that. About because there are there are some um, companies I've read where you know you can go at your own pace, even though it's a guided. We yeah, have a guide, sort of self-guided. You can go at your own pace. Right. right. <clears throat> I, I I didn't really. I mean, I like to to get a bit of a move <clears throat> on on the street once I'm riding. Oh, I know. I, I believe me, I do too. I go into sort of sport bike mode, but. I didn't really feel the need to do that, to tell yeah. you the truth. I didn't, I wasn't just sort of getting frustrated and thinking, dang, I wish we could step on it a bit. There were maybe one or two sections where I'm thinking, oh, I wouldn't mind, you know, yeah. getting a bit of a move on here. Totally. I but get it. But really, by and large, I thought, as Miley, the, the pace that he set, the pace that you set was really right. good. Um, we weren't being held back. Um, well, we had to. We had to cater to a wide array of riding. A fairly across you know, big spectrum. Between, you know, TJ and Iwana. Yeah, who can, they, those girls can ride anything. And they they were can great. ride anything and ride anywhere. But then they don't want to ride quite as fast as right. Mark and I wanted to ride. Correct. But again, I never felt held back. Right. I really didn't. It was really, and, but it was, it was fast enough to keep me interested and, and keep it sporting. Yeah. But it was slow enough, and we stopped often enough that I was able to enjoy the scenery right. and had a quick look around. And I'm like, "Holy yeah. crap!" Yeah. And then we visited a couple of medieval towns. Mm -hmm. um, well, they're all medieval. Got, walked around; they're all flipping medieval. Yeah. But my God, I mean, it's, I mean, it's just the history is just. It's pretty stunning. cool. It's pretty amazing as an American, where well, our yeah. history is, you know, 250, 300 years old. Right, max. And, you know, you look at a house like uh, as a contractor. I work on houses that are built in the twenties. I'm like, oh, it's a hundred year old house. That's old. <laughs> right. You go to Italy, <clears throat> you got houses that are made in like nine hundred. Right. You know, that are fourteen hundred years old. Yeah. So it's yeah. pretty. It's pretty. Uh, 
pretty and, amazing. And perched on the side of a hill mm -hmm. that overlooks, and you're like, oh my god! I mean, yeah. the views from it. I mean, just stunning. Yeah. And you know, in a couple of churches, went up to a couple of churches, which for me is not really my kind of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I think a lot of people are like eh, church. You know, we've seen one, you've seen them all. Mm -hmm. You haven't. No, I agree. No. I mean, I absolutely loved it. Yeah, they were fascinating, and again, you didn't sort of jam that <clears> stuff <throat> down down our throat. Right, we're going to another church, no, which would no. have been just too much. It was. We visited a couple, and they were beautiful, uh, and I can really appreciate those and just when they were built. And again, as a as a guy who builds houses for a living, yeah, I walk into a um, a structure that's a thousand years old, that's still standing. Right. Still straight up and down. And I look at how they built that thing, you know, a thousand years ago. And it probably took them 50 years to build it. Right. With the rudimentary tools and... Just cutting stone. Ways they can... Yeah. yeah. And you look at this thing and you're like, this is incredible. Incredible. How yeah. they built the thing. And it's... Yeah. It's level. It's plumb. It's like the arches, <laughs> the domes, like how they put it together that many years ago. Right. It's just mind-blowing to me. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So I want people to come and experience not only the great yeah. roads and the food and the, you know the culture is a big. Well, talking about the it. food, you took us to a couple of real nice restaurants. I mean, <clears> you know, the sort of the philistine in me says, well, you know, the pizza restaurant, you know, where we had lunch. <laughs> you know, I'm not such of an exotic food guy, but but exotic exotic foodies would certainly be catered. A couple of those restaurants were really yes. good. I think. I, I don't drink so, but I assume the wine lists were pretty good. I the wine was fine, you know. For was, yeah, I'm not a I'm not a big wine aficionado, but you know I like a nice if, local if glass is, of red wine. But know? if somebody is, they could certainly yeah. Because I mean, everything's local. I mean, it's, and it's all Chianti region. So, it's yeah. true farm to table. Yeah. You know yeah. the time the time we were eating at that restaurant in um, oh, that town it was a Duda, I think D U D D A or something. Okay. Um, was just up from the villa. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That evening where that we the English to... guy was running it. Oh yeah, wow. I mean, that food was right out of the guy's backyard. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and that was really high quality. It was yeah, it was great. So yeah, no complaints about the food at all. It was really, really very nice. And the villa was was nice. The villa had this sort of rustic, historic feel to it. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't describe it as luxury. No, but it was. That wasn't our luxury villa. That was our. Um, that was just a sort of a place to base ourselves but yeah <clears throat> but from a historical perspective it was lovely it was cool i think it was built in the early 1800s it was yeah. uh renovated like 20 or 30 years ago i think yep something yep. like that by Fra yeah, franco by franco great, yeah, great host. It, yeah what a lovely it was beautiful i mean cool inside big doors that we didn't even up. use the pool didn't even use the pool, no. Yeah. It was really nice. Yeah. It had beautiful grounds yeah. out in the countryside. Yeah, it was amazing. It was really very, it was a very memorable trip. So the bottom line is, I, I do think you're on to something here. I do. I hope I hope you stick with it. I of hope course. it comes to fruition. Absolutely. Um, I've got uh, dates, <clears throat> excuse me, reserved for next year for um, two weeks in the fall. Okay, good. September right. 28th to the, to the 5th of October. Okay. And then either the week before that or the week after that, I'm trying to sort that out with Carolina. Okay. With Carolina. Well, we'll bring, you, we'll bring you back on an episode, you know, sort of early next year or what have you, when, whenever you deem that you're ready to, to really yeah. um, 
you know, sell us on this. Okay. Um, I, uh, you're not going to have to do too much selling to get me to want to go. <laughs> well, the other the other added bonus for the paying customers is, you know, I'll always invite a friend who's in the industry um, to come as a, you know, um, sort of a, a secondary guide slash uh, conversation right. piece, you know, like, because yeah. I think people that aren't in the industry like to love to meet you know ex-racers or current racers yeah or journalists cool. you know like well they're not going to want, want to meet me so. but, uh, <laughs> i'm sure there's plenty of more interesting people than me but you never but, know yeah. you never know <laughs> no but uh but yeah no it's i think i do i do think you're on to something yeah. um moto california is a little bit of a misnomer because it's I know it's Moto Italiana, really. Well, that's the thing. But I do the we do the same thing in but, California. We do but, in Italy, so we have right. you know the, the the same sort of uh, the same model, the same model in California. We in Southern California, we have in Italy. Right. So we and this is for people in Europe that yes. obviously want to come to California Correct. and and experience it. Well, I, I do. I think you're onto something. I think it's going to be interesting, and and I. I don't think there's an awful lot of tweaking that's going to be needed to make it really, you to to give you a whole bunch of very satisfied customers. Yeah, I just want to, and I also uh, what I didn't mention was um, I'm li I limit it to six riders because I want to keep the oh, group small. Okay. okay. I don't yeah. want tens and fifteen and twenty guys. I mean, yeah. I mean, just look at how look at how um, not complicated, but when we were going through small towns and yeah. we had to like pass some, some trucks and some cars and. Yeah. You know, if you got a lead rider and, and a caboose, a tail rider, trying to gather everybody up, going through all these places where we're passing, yeah. um, with more than six or seven people on bikes, can be uh, complicated. Can a bit challenging. Yeah. Yeah, I think if you had more than that, you'd have to start splitting them up into groups. Yes. And all kinds of things. I don't want to do that. I want it to be exclusive. Right. I want it to be small. I want it yeah. to be intimate. Yeah. Because um, yeah. I think at the price point, uh, people want to feel a little more exclusive. They don't want to feel like I'm. 20 yeah. guys at this price point like yeah I, yeah it just would take away from the whole flavor of it all yeah i think so i think so so when you so when you talk about pricing i know you haven't um figured out your pricing yet basically the price includes everything except airfare okay you get there you get to the airport and we'll pick you up okay bring you to the villa right and uh the price covers all the meals breakfast lunch and dinner okay the bike Insurance, fuel for the bike, booze at the villa. There's no drinking at lunch, obviously. Um, the car service into Siena or Florence. Uh, the wine tours, the cooking classes, the massages, etc., etc. It's basically you pay once, and you're done. Right. So, I mean, if you go into Florence and you want to go spend money in a shop buying a diamond ring or whatever, that's on you. Right. But I'll get you there. Right. Okay. I, I assume if you get some real wine aficionados, because at, at this sort of level, you're probably going to have guys that really appreciate a good wine. Of course. They're probably then that'll probably be a, a, a sort of a surcharge if somebody orders a you know thousand dollar bottle of wine. Uh, yes. Then obviously that would have to be a surcharge. Correct. But, but at least they've got the option to do that. Yeah. I mean, they'll so, be. A, they'll, we'll have a nice selection at right. dinner. Right. Uh, of a, nice local wines. Okay. To pick from. Yeah. But if a guy wants to go, you the know, problem is, is everybody, everybody's definition of nice is it does vary a bit. Sure. Sure. Um, sure. 
what I would describe as nice is not what most people describe <laughs> as nice. <laughs> like the, I, uh, I like the taste of wine. I just well, it's like here's you know there'll be three or four choices yeah. of a couple yeah. whites, couple reds of local yeah. stuff. And but you get my buddy Daniel on one of these tours, and, I know. and he's gonna he's gonna need to step it up in the wine department. All right, he knows what he's doing. Let's go, Mr. Schoenwald. <laughs> All right, so. So you haven't figured out the pricing yet, but obviously it's going to be up there just to keep it exclusive and and really, uh, you know, be able to cater to these to to, to, to people that really want to go for a, a top level luxury. It's a t- yeah, top level turnkey thing. You show up. Um, right. <clears throat> in the works is um, included in the price would be a jacket. Oh, nice to bring home like a in a like a, in a gift bag. Okay. Oh, good. Okay. So I'm sorting out what items would be in that, that gift bag, but that would be included. And so I'm ballparking the price right now for a single rider in your own room. Um, and by the way, the villa, you know, you have, as you know, you have your own room and your own bathroom. Oh, sure. sure. You're not going down the hall to share a bathroom with somebody. <laughs> and um, so I'm kind of ballparking the price for a single rider in your own room with everything included somewhere between 15 and 20 grand. Okay. And if you come with a pillion with a passenger, it's going to be somewhere between like high teens and like low twenties. You know, like okay. maybe uh, eighteen to twenty-three grand. Okay. All right. So uh, uh, terrific. Okay. Well, um, I look forward to seeing how it develops, and Me too. Uh, I'm really hoping that you stick with it and make it happen. You've you stuck with it so far, so. Uh, yeah, so I really... We uh, had a very memorable trip. We really enjoyed yeah, it. Yeah, me too. It was really terrific. Yeah. So, um, I'm glad you guys had a good time. I'm, yeah. I'm, I was making sure people are having a good time. That's like yeah. always been my thing. Like when I, Even when I was working the nightclub business in New York back in my 20s and early 30s, I was like, I always want to make sure everybody's having a good time. Yeah. Well, you're a very amiable chap to get along with. <laughs> you're very easy to get along with. And, and so, yeah, there was no... There was no friction or frustration or anything. We all just had a really good laugh. Yeah. Just a really nice time. Just good. Enjoyed it. It was great. Good. So um, thank you for including us again. And thank you for coming on the podcast. My pleasure. We will look Thanks forward for to me. having you on uh, for an update at some later date to be determined. All right. I'm ready. Thanks, man. Okay. Okay.